It's time for our uh, reading of the scripture this morning. It comes from Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. To his word this morning. Before I begin the service, I would ask that in preparation for next Sunday, if you'd be willing during your devotion time to read Jeremiah 29. So next Sunday, I'm going to speak about the word peace, focus on peace. So next Sunday, I'm hoping through this week, at some point, you read Jeremiah 29, say a special prayer that I articulate what I believe God wants me to speak about next week in Jeremiah about peace and how peace comes. Today in Jeremiah is all about context. Any kind of investigation or study or reading is all about context. In context, we are asked what was going on. Why did the person write what was written? Why did he say what he said? Why did this person do the deed that was done? The same thing happens in our study of the Bible. When scholars get together and want to have great debates, they're always going to remind each other, what was the context of this scripture that you're putting against me? One would ask the other. Context must be determined. What was going on in the culture around them? What was said in the letter before and after the verse that was read? What was happening that caused the person to write this letter? Who was it written to? Why was it written? Why did the writer put this word in this particular word order? Everybody now talks about context, and we must know the context of why something was written before we make a judgment on what was said. Jeremiah 29, verse 11 is one of those passages we quote to bring us through a bad time, and it works. Is it not true? This scripture comes to your mind. God knows the plans he has for you. You quote it, you pray it, you think about it. Hey, and it seems to work out for you. Jeremiah 29 and 11 is in coffee mugs, written all over coffee mugs. It's posted on posters everywhere. There's big signs of Jeremiah 29 and 11. Anywhere you go, somewhere Jeremiah 29 is working in somebody's life. Have you ever been in your spiritual life where things are going really good for you? Your prayer life was working. Your devotional life was working. God was speaking to you through your word. And you was getting a fire for him. We call it a fire. His word is speaking to your heart and your mind. And you say, yeah, man, that's your word. Thank you for going this to me. Thank you for leading me in this word. But your spiritual life was really working. You were sharing Jesus Christ, what he'd done in your life with other people. And even though all around you was mess. Trials, tribulation, problems, troubles, you know the scenario. Those things didn't bug you because your spiritual life was honed in. And in that, you could see through a glass. You say, I see how Jeremiah 29 is working in my life because things are going so good right now. Things around me don't matter because this scripture is coming true for me. He does have a hope for me. He does have a future. And I can get through whatever I'm going through right now because I see that scripture working out in my life. But you know, brothers and sisters, at some point we have to come off the mountaintop. And when we come off that mountaintop, we fall right into quicksand. And the quicksand, it just begins to drown us out. Life begins to drown out on us, and we wonder, hey, 
What happened to Jeremiah 29, 11? It don't seem to be working right now in my life, God. You said you had a hope and a future for me, but I don't see any right now. Maybe I'll just give up. But in that, in that one little passage, even when you're sinking into quicksand, God has a way to come in and say, no, I love you and I'm here for you. That's the way it happened for me. I think all of us have been on high in our spiritual lives where everything is just flowing and clicking and we love everything and we love God and wherever he's at, we want to be at and we're moving in the right direction. And then it all falls. And when it falls, you fall hard. It's like drinking a cup of caffeinated coffee. When that baby's over with, you're hurting, you have a headache, and you don't know what to do, and you need that next cup. The next cup was my wife. She would go in. She saw me struggling. She saw me hurting. She saw me down out besides calling on my friends and telling on me. She would write Jeremiah 29 in the bathroom on the little mirror. So when I was brushing my teeth, I would see that scripture. And that scripture, whether it was in context or not, held me through the trouble and the tribulation. It has a way to get us through and move us on. She was always writing me letters and scriptures saying, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. I'd get uh, little cards in the mail. Jeremiah 29, 11, and other passages as well. That God knows what he's doing, just trust in him. But how could such a powerful passage be working in my life? be flowing in my life, and then these guys get on TV and say, you're taking the scripture out of context. That's not what it means. You could probably Google it right now, and one of the first things you'll see is, Christians take Jeremiah 29 out of context. How could that be? It's working. Do I not understand it right? Do I not perceive it right? Why can I not claim that promise in my own personal life? They say, because you're taking it out of its context. Well, this morning, I hope to put this passage in its historical context of what it was said back then, what it meant to the people then, and I hope, to the best of my ability, to put it in some kind of theological context of what it means for God. I may not be able to do it, but I'm going to try my best to put it in context to see how that can work out in our lives as believers. And I plan on doing this by using the Greek Orthodox Church understanding of philanthropy. I had to say that slow because you wouldn't believe I, I kind of get on the guys, you know, they get mad at me about all the big words. And I got a big word coming myself, so I audioed it all week long. Philanthropy. The Greek Orthodox Church of this is doing good deeds for mankind. We help the poor, we help the needy, we help the destitute. This is what we do for, uh, to people that are hurting. Believers do good deeds for mankind. And we do this because God done the good deed for us. You see, we were the poor ones, we were the wretched ones, we were the lost ones. And God says, I see you cannot do this on your own and that you need help. So I'm going to immerse myself in humanity. I'm going to take on your experiences of life. I'm going to take on your troubles. I'm going to walk with you and talk with you. And I'm going to meet with you. And in this experience, I'm going to change your life forever. We do the good deeds because God was the first philanthropist. 
He reached down to man and came in our lives, and he made us, and he changed us forever. And I'm asking God to use this passage to heal us and to speak to us this morning. Jeremiah speaks to a third wave of people that headed into captivity under the Babylonians. The war had been going on. The Babylonians went the first time, brought some people back to Babylon from Jerusalem. They went a second time and brought some more people back. They went a third time and brought a third group back. And in Jeremiah 29, he writes this group, this passage in Jeremiah 29. And this is what he says to them to give them comfort. He first says to them, this is God's doing. God says to Jeremiah, I am the one that's putting you in this jail. I've done this. Not only have I done this, but I used a heathen nation to take you captive. Don't blame it on nobody else. I done this to you. You are going here because this was my will and this was my call on your life. And don't worry that I'm using people that you don't know or understand or people who's totally against me. I know what I'm doing. He says, not only have I done this, Jeremiah, but he says, this captivity you're going to will last for 70 years. When you go to Babylon and to the nations scattered everywhere, you are going to go there for 70 years. He says, the prophets who spoke to you about this being a short time, you're not going to go for 70 years. And this nation is going to have to turn you loose because God has called us to be his special people and he's called us because he loves us and he cares about us. You will not go in bondage for 70 years. And God says, don't listen to them. They come and they say they speak in my name. They say they speak for me. But do not listen to what they're saying. They are lying to you. I have not sent them to not represent me. The people in captivity got laughed at and mocked at because there was some, still some holy rollers in Jerusalem. Not everybody had come to be captive in Babylon. There were still some left in the homeland. And those in the homeland mocked those people who were sent to captivity and said, you are not really people of God because God would not do this to his people. We are better than you. And God says, pay no attention to that mess of what they say to you. God is pretty rough. He says, I am sending them famine, pestilence, and eventually they will come into captivity. Anything they put their hands to, God says, I'm going to destroy. Their plants won't grow. Their crops won't be blessed. Their animals won't be blessed. Their livelihood will not be blessed. And I will not hear them. They will come captive just like you. What kind of a God treats his people in such a way? How could he be so mean and nasty and vicious to say, I'm making you do this. I'm bringing people against you to do this. And anything you do, I'm going to curse and take away. These are things the atheists ask, the people who don't know God or won't accept Jesus Christ. Why does a good God allow these things happen to his people? What kind of God would do this? 
a God with a plan. That's right. He had a plan. This is what he says to his people. After he lays out all this bad and meanness on them, this is what he says to the holy people of God to get them through the 70 years. He says, first of all, settle in the land. When you go down to Babylon, go down there and get settled. Build houses. Bear children. Marry your children off. Grow your crops. Be blessed in the land where you're at. You're right. I'm sending you. You're right. It's a heathen nation coming after you. You're right. It's going to be a long time. But when you go, I'm going to bless you where you are at. Everything you touch, everything you put your hand to, I'm going to bless. Even though I put you there, I'm going to bless you. So he says, get settled in. He says, seek peace. Because only in peace will you prosper. Don't be bitter and mean and nasty against those people who's brought you captive. Don't be mean and nasty and try to understand my will and my ways. But have peace in your heart. Have peace in your soul. And allow me to do the work that I want to do in you. Only in peace will you prosper. He says right in this mess. Obey and love me. I've done this to you. I've put you here. I have hurt you. But in the hurt and in the pain, I am with you. I'm going to bless what you do. I'm going to grow you. And I'm going to use you. Obey me. Follow me. Love me. Serve me. Why? Because God says, I'm coming for you. That's right. I am coming for you. This is what he says to his people. After 70 years, I will remember my promise to you. When that 70th year comes, I'm going to remember that I said I was going to call you out. I'm coming for you. And after 70 years, I will remember my promise to you. And I will return you to your home. I will take you back to your place of blessing. I will take you back to where you knew me. You experienced me and you loved me. And the place you thought I was at. I'm coming for you. And I'm going to bring you from all the nations of the earth. I'm going to bring you back home. He says, when those 70 years come... He says, when that 70 year come on that last day, that 70 year, he says, in that day, you will find me. Why would he say that? After 70 years, that last day, you will call on my name and you will find me. Why? He says, you will find me when you look for me with your whole heart. Oh, yeah. God is coming time. Some of the people are going to die off. The grandparents will die off. The moms and dads are going to die off. But the kids are left with the promise. The kids hear the promise. They sense the promise. They see the promise. A generation may die off. But he says, I'm coming for you. And on that last day, you're going to find me. Why? Because you're going to say to me, Lord, you said you was going to deliver me and take me home. You said you was going to do a work in my life. And now I seek you with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, and all of my strength. This was your promise. 
and I'm asking you to confirm that promise in my life. And I'm calling you with everything that I am and all that I have, and I'm asking you to come in and do the work you said you was going to do. He says, when I do that, and you seek me with all of your heart on that last day of that seventh year, I will be glorified in your midst. How will he be glorified? Because they called on his name. They asked for his help. He said he was going to do it after 70 years. And now he's going to come. And he's going to bring a mighty army to take over another army. And he's going to be uplifted. He says, from all the places I have scattered you, I will call you back home. They didn't just go to Babylon, but whatever kingdom Babylon owned, the way it worked was they would put you in different countries so you couldn't be one nation and rise up against the king. So kings would scatter people all over the world and suppress them and hold them down. But God says, don't worry. Every place this old dude has scattered you and put you out, there's going to come a time after 70 years, I'm going to call you back home. God sure enough did it. But why? Why? You're going to put me through the mess, saying you're putting me through the mess. You're telling me to go down there and accept the position that I'm in. You said you're going to bless me. You said you're going to do it a period of time. Why are you doing this? And he says, why? Because I know the thoughts I have for you. I want to give you peace and an unexpected end. I know what I want to do with your life. I know where I'm taking you. I know how I'm guiding you. I know how I'm leading you. I have a plan and purpose for your life. Don't worry about it. Trust in me and me alone. I'm going to work it out because I'm Almighty God. I don't want to hurt you, he says. I don't want to do you wrong because I love you and I care for you. And I see the future. A future you only see through a dark glass. Don't worry, he says, I know the thoughts I have for you to give you peace and an unexpected end. God says, I'm not confined by a temple, a house of worship. You see, the nation of Israel thought God only dwelled in Jerusalem in the temple. That's where his spirit was. That's where his presence was. That's where the sacrifices are made. That's where all the things are done. But God told David, says, why do you want to build me a house? I never asked you to build me a house. How do you think you can confine me in a building? I'm almighty God. I'm all over the place and I'm everywhere. You cannot confine me to a building. But this is where we experience you. This is where we love you. And he says, no, you're experiencing me right now in Babylon because I told you to build your homes and be blessed, to love me, serve me, and follow me. I'm here with you. I'm not confined by a temple. I'm not confined by man's thoughts. Nebuchadnezzar thought he had it going on. I'm just going to take you captive and rule you forever. And God says, who do you think you are? I'm going to give you a dream to show you you ain't all that. I'm almighty God. I'm not confined by the thoughts of man or how you think or the places you're going. I'm not confined by that. But God is confined. How could an all-knowing, all-seeing, all-loving God, how can he be confined? And maybe I don't take this in context, and maybe I'm wrong. I believe God says, I'm confined 
by my love for you. That's right. What holds God steady is his love for man. I love you, he says to his people. And my love confines me to do good for you, to take you to where I want you to be. So I am confined by my love for you. And in that love for you, you will teach the other nations who the true God is. God had done it when they fell in the garden and he had Noah. Noah preached the gospel in a form. And then it began to spread out into all the other nations. They heard about God as Israel went into the promised land. They said, we've heard about your God. He's a mighty, nasty God. He fights battles for you. He walks for you. He talks for you. We heard about it. Now they're going to find out that God is the true God because now the word of God is going to be put in the language of the people there in Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar experienced that. When he had the dream and the vision and the three boys went in the fiery furnace, he says, truly your God is God above all other gods. He didn't know that until they came rooting in there. He would have never listened to them, but they came in and followed the will of God and listened and followed and did what was right in the eyes of God. And God blessed that and he moved in that. And through that, other nations would come to the know who the true God is. And it is that love for all mankind that will cause all men to come to him. When God sent the Lord Jesus Christ to bridge the gap between God and man, he fulfilled his promise to bless all men. The Spirit came on John the Baptist. Here he comes out of those mountains with just sheep on him, eating nothing but a bunch of fruits and figs. Probably had long, nappy hair. Might have had lice in it. Comes down out of that mountain and says, The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. The day of your salvation draws near. The prophetic spirit had left when God left the temple and all that was destroyed in their lives. They had no prophet to speak in the name of God. They were hurting and down and out. And here comes John the Baptist right out of that mess. And he comes right down to the river and says, be baptized. And as people are being baptized and repenting of their sin, all of a sudden, here comes the Messiah. And John backs off and says, wait a minute, dude. Why are you here in my presence? I need to be touched by you and you want me to baptize you? I'm not worthy to do that. And Jesus says to John, we must fulfill all righteousness. The king came down to earth. And he went out and he preached the good news to all people. He healed those who needed to be healed. He changed those who needed to be changed. He died and he rose again. And everybody has experienced that kind of love in their lives. God fulfilled his very will that all men would gather around and come to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I say to you this morning, all of us, In this sanctuary, we have experienced that love. We've got it in our hearts. He has touched us. He has changed us. He has made us. He has molded us. He has called us. He has loved us. We have experienced that love. And I would hope when we come into the church house on Sunday morning... We come with thanksgiving on our hearts that he 
loves us. That he died and that he rose again to give us life and he called it life more abundantly. That when we enter into the house of God, we are thankful because he loves us. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is philanthropy 101 worked out. I know the plans that I have for you. Not to harm you or hurt you, but to love you. I'm not the kind of preacher who asks you to bow your head or raise your hand. I'm not that guy. I'm just a guy who cuts to you straight, straight as I know how to do it. But is it possible that we've been in the quicksand so long that we have forgotten that, yeah, God does have a plan. He fulfilled it in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're just to walk in it. But maybe our hearts is not as thankful as they should be. Maybe we're not loving him like we should be. Maybe life has so got around us that it's constricted what's in our heart. And so I'm asking you this morning, if that's you, and you just want to either renew your commitment or in your own way, come to the front and say, I need to be more thankful to you. You're in a safe place. This is a safe house. There's no bigger sinner than Brian Jevedon. You're going to find that out in two weeks. But here you are safe. He says, go there and be blessed. You are blessed where you're at. Even if you don't think it's working out, he is there for you. So as the piano is playing, if you feel like that's you, that God is speaking to you, I just ask you to come forward. Let me and other people that want to pray with you, we'll pray over you. You don't even have to say anything. Just come up and let us agree together of the work God wants to do in your life. Thank you. 